Hey, man. Hey, guys. Uh, welcome, everybody. Before I go any further, I just I want to acknowledge the obvious, and that is we are very, very blessed to have the musical talent and skill and leadership that we have every week here in the church. I hope we don't ever take that for granted. I know that I don't. Hey, welcome to everybody uh, over there in True Worth in the sanctuary and online. And uh, if you've only been watching us for a little while and you're asking yourself the question, why did Rick shave his head? Because uh, I wanted to. Just kidding. I'm not Rick, actually. I, I serve on staff here. My name is Chris, and I'm associate pastor over worship. And really quick, just I want to acknowledge something. You may notice uh, one of our primary worship leaders, Andrew, is off this weekend, uh, which is fine. Uh, but he's off this weekend because he had a very, very cool weekend, very exciting weekend. So I want to show you. Our little boy is all grown up now. I know many of you, like myself, have, have been around Andrew for uh, quite a long time. We've seen him grow up, and I know that we're all celebrating such a cool time in his life as, as he prepares to become a husband and a father. And Andrew, I know you're watching online, so good morning to you guys. Congratulations to y'all. Uh, now, for all of us, today, this is our, our last Sunday in the message series, Stronger. And the next series is actually going to begin this coming Wednesday. And that's our Ash Wednesday service. It'll be at 6.30. And if you've never been to an Ash Wednesday service, what it is is it marks the beginning of our journey through the season of Lent, which will take us up to Holy Week and Easter. So if you've been to Easter before, but you've never been to Ash Wednesday, I really want to challenge you and encourage you to be there on Ash Wednesday as we begin this season of understanding about the grace of God, but also understanding more about what it means to offer grace to each other. So come check it out, 6.30 in the service, and we'll be streaming it online as well. There'll be about 30 to 45 minutes prayer, receiving the ashes, and there'll be some music as well. So, so come check it out. Now for today, we, as we finish this series, we, you know, the last few weeks we talked about a number of ways that we can all get stronger in our lives, become stronger people. And so to finish this series, to wrap it all up, I want to talk about how all of those things can come together so that we can become stronger in community. Now, I wonder, do any of you get frustrated with the lack of community that you see in our world today? And if you're not, I want to remind you, this is election year. And so chances are, as we get further into the year, community is going to be something we don't really see a lot of. But, but why is that? Why is it, especially if we think about the political climate, why is civil dialogue something that we struggle with? Why does, it, why does the conversation continue to devolve into this oversimplified false binary of good versus evil? Why does that happen? And even, even in our smaller communities, why do we struggle to maintain civil dialogue? I think it's one simple thing. One simple skill that if we could all get better at, we would all get stronger in community. So what is that skill, I hear you ask? Watch the video and see if you can figure it out. Hey, Murph. <laughs> hey, Ronathan. I heard you're having trouble with your computer. Yeah, thanks for coming down. Okay, so what's, uh, what seems to be the problem? Uh, so every time I try to get online, uh -huh. it's asking me for an admin okay. password, sure. but it shouldn't need a password to get onto the internet. Sure. And I should already yeah. have admin privileges on this computer. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Did you get all that? Yeah, yeah, totally. So, 
you need admin privileges? No, no, no. Yeah. I already have yeah. admin privileges. Oh, okay. I just Great. need to get on the internet. And okay, it, yeah. It, I shouldn't need admin privileges. Yeah, 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 got it. I feel like you're not actually uh -huh, listening uh -huh. to me. Yeah, yeah, sure. Are you yeah, actually okay. not listening to yeah, me? No, or are you saying that you okay, get sure. that it seems yeah, that totally. way? Totally, yeah, I, yeah, that's, that makes sense. Okay, you need to stop sure. that. Okay, doing what? You need to stop checking in okay, with me so right. much saying okay. yeah. You need to stop yeah. saying yeah. What do you mean? It you're like you're not listening oh, got and it. you're just focusing got on saying it. yeah, yeah no, that got makes it sense. and everything. Yeah. Like you took yeah, some okay. kind of active oh, listening oh, class, sure. but yeah. you're not actually totally, paying attention. Totally. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Then why did you just agree mm -hmm. with me a million mm -hmm. times while I said it? Mm-hmm. 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 Okay, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm just showing you that I'm listening to you. So you have a problem with your dog, is what I'm hearing? No, you're clearly not listening to me. If we want to get stronger in community, in your notes, we need to get better at listening. You see, we all think we're good listeners, right? We aren't the problem. It's the other people. They're the ones that are bad listeners. If, if my boss would just listen to me, if my spouse would just understand me, if my kids would just do what I tell them, and if everyone in a community is working hard to get everyone else to listen to them, then nobody's listening at all, are they? No real communication is happening. It's just noise. So before we go any further, I invite you to take a deep breath, settle in, and listen. And not simply to me, listen to each other. Listen to the person that's sitting next to you. Listen for what they're saying, not just with their words. Listen for what they're saying with their body language, with their posture, with the things they aren't saying. Listen for your own voice. But most importantly, listen to what God is saying. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that every time we turn to you and we speak to you. You listen every time. And Father, we thank you that even in those moments when we aren't listening, you still continue to speak into our lives. So this moment, we pause so that we can be still. So that we can find you in the silence. So Father, we pray that you open us up to receive whatever it is that you have for us today. In your son's name, amen. We're going to hand out some Bibles. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and somebody will bring one to you. And when you get it, I want you to go to Psalm 139. If you're new in your Bible journey, just a, a quick little trick. If you're trying to find Psalms, it's open the Bible right to the middle and chances are you'll, you'll be right there in Psalms. So find 139. Now usually... When I preach, I like to camp out in one passage the whole time. But today, I'm going to be jumping around quite a bit, so I'm going to try to give you a good heads up about where I'm going so you can catch up. As we, as we work to get stronger in community, there's three conversations that I want to suggest that we need to get better at listening in. And the first one in your notes is this, listen to God. Now, if you're new to the faith, or if you're still struggling with your belief, that sounds like a very trite, religious 
cliche, listen to God. What does that even mean? Or maybe you are a believer and you've heard that so many times that it's either lost all meaning or you weren't really sure what it meant in the first place. So I want to walk through this with you guys today just, just for a little bit to understand a little more what we mean by that. So the book of Psalms, it's, it's essentially the, the hymnal, the hymn book for the Hebrew people. But it also contains prayers as well, conversations with God. In Psalm 139, this is one of my favorite prayers. <clears throat> and you're probably familiar with some of the phrases in this, in this uh, psalm. The psalmist spends about 18 verses or so laying out some of the most beautiful, poetic praise of God. He says, God, you know me. Where can I go from your spirit? You knitted me in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. So 18 verses, it's just this beautiful, poetic praise. Then we get to verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies, they take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Whoa. Sounds like we just took a sharp turn away from the rest of the psalm, doesn't it? What's going on here? How does he do that? How does he go from such beautiful poetry and praise to this vial of hate so quickly? But how do we do that? How often do we do that? How often? Just like in, in James chapter 3, do we, do we, with the same voice that we praise our Lord and Father, we curse those that are made in the image of God. I want to remind us all, as we get deeper into the election year, that, that the person that you can't stand, that candidate from that party, just a reminder, even they are made in the image of God. You can get frustrated. You could get angry. But I invite you, choose your words carefully. So back to the psalm. And this is what I love about the psalm. And this is, this is what happens when we invest in beginning our day by listening. 19 through 22, he lays out this hatred. But then look what happens in verse 23. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. What's going on here? I mean, is, is a psalmist just having a neurotic episode? I don't, I don't think so. This is what I think. He begins by praising God. He begins by taking himself out of the leading role of his life. He centers himself in God. And when he does that, something very important happens. He opens himself up to God. In your notes... Connection requires vulnerability. That's not a fun word, I know. That's kind of a scary word for some, vulnerability. We don't, we don't like that so much. We get a little, a little nervous about that. But you see, once the psalmist centers himself in God, he felt safe. 
to be completely open to God. He says, God, I can't understand your thoughts. Your ways are not like my ways. And then he says, these are my thoughts. These are my issues. These are my struggles. God, help me with my thoughts. Know my struggles. Help me with my hatred. Lead me in your ways, not my ways, God. Lead me in your ways. If we want to get stronger in community, if we want to get stronger in these relationships, we have to start with this relationship. We have to get stronger here. So that religious cliche, listen to God, let me spell this out for you in the most practical way that I can. Set your alarm. Just try this for one week. Just give, give me one week, seven days of this. Whatever time you normally wake up, set your alarm for 15 minutes earlier. And then when you get up, you go to that place that you have prepared, and your Bible and your journal are already there. Maybe you go get a cup of coffee, and you settle in. And then when you do that, open up to Psalm 139. Don't read the entire psalm, just, just a little bit of it. Maybe you read verse 23 and 24. And then you open your journal, date it, and then write this word, listen. And then for 15 minutes, don't speak, don't move. Just stay with this psalm and see where your thoughts go. And trust that God is guiding your thoughts during that time. And if you feel yourself getting distracted, just recite those verses again, just to bring yourself back, just to recenter yourself in God and listen. And then when the 15 minutes are up, write down just a little bit of where your mind went. I, I promise you, the first day you try this, if you're not used to being in silence, it's going to weird you out a little bit. You're going to have a hard time staying focused. You're going to get distracted a bunch. Don't be discouraged. It'll happen. Just go back to the psalm and, and just keep coming back. But the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, you keep doing it. It gets easier and easier. And before you ever speak a word every day, listen. So I want you to flip on over to the New Testament to the Gospel of John, first chapter. As we work to get stronger in community, there's another relationship that we need to get better at listening to. And this one's going to sound a bit odd. But trust me, it's something that we definitely want to get better at. If we want to get stronger in community, in your notes, we need to get better at listening to ourselves. I know that sounds strange because, I mean, isn't that the problem that we only listen to ourselves? I don't think so. Some of the biggest struggles we face in community is the fact that we don't know ourselves as well as we should. So there in John chapter 1, verse 35, Jesus calls his first disciples. There's a couple of guys who are hanging out with John the Baptist. And when Jesus walks by, they see him, and they turn, and they start to follow Jesus. And as soon as they do, Jesus turns and looks at them, and in verse 38, he asks them one of the most haunting questions you can be asked. He says, what are you seeking? In some translations, it says, what do you want? Why is that such a haunting question? Well, because I would argue that most of us can't answer it. I'd like to point out that when Jesus asks the disciples that question, they don't ever answer it. Why? 
because they didn't know. And what do we do when we can't answer that question? What do I want? I want to show you something pretty powerful. It's a ball, right? It's simple. Harmless, right? But this ball just so happens to be one of my son's toys whenever he was younger. He would play with this when he was younger. And this ball, it could lie dormant in his room forever. And my daughter Ava would never even know that it was there. But what do you suppose happened whenever she saw Aiden playing with it? What happened to her opinion of that toy then? All of a sudden, what just a moment ago, she wasn't even aware it was there, now has become the one thing that separates her from true, eternal happiness. And if she can just have that one toy, then she's going to be happy. And yet a moment ago, she didn't even know it existed. But these are kids, right? I mean, this is what kids do. Adults would never act this way, would they? <laughs> Unless it's Black Friday or if there's a sale, or if it's in limited supply, or if a lot of other people have it. One of the biggest issues that has plagued our communities from the very beginning of time is this one word, desire. We think we know ourselves. We think we listen to ourselves. But we haven't figured out what it is we really desire. And what do people do when they don't know what it is they want? They borrow ideas from others. You have that purse, or that car, or that house, and, and you appear to be relatively happy. I want to be happy like you, so if I could have that purse, or that car, or that house, or better yet, if I could just take those items from you, then I could take your happiness from you, and then I'll be happy like you. I know that sounds insanely primal, but believe it or not, it happens every day with almost every one of us. It's just buried beneath the consciousness that we don't know it's there, but it's there. Louis Vuitton. I don't know much about purses. I don't. I'm told that's a good brand. Worth a lot of money. If you're someone who has a desire for that brand... I just want you to think, would you be willing to spend that kind of money on that purse if nobody else would ever know that it was a Louis Vuitton? Would you still want it? Maybe you do. But if you don't, then your desire really isn't for the purse. Your desire is how you hope others will feel about you having that this is what happens when we don't take time to listen to ourselves, to really get in touch with what is it we really, really desire, really. We borrow ideas from others, and we continue to be restless and empty. And just so I'm even-handed here, this goes well beyond purses. They, there, there was a long time in my life you would not catch me playing a guitar that didn't have a Gibson or the Fender brand on it, so I fall victim to it as well. We all do. But if we want to get stronger in community, somehow we've got to invest in that relationship with ourselves when we truly listen to our own voice. 
And we do it, you have those 15 minutes. You spend with God, that's the time you begin to listen to your own voice. Not when it's reacting to the noise of the world. Listen to your voice when it's responding to the experience of God. If you're someone who struggles with poor self-image, if the voice inside of your head says a lot of horrible things, you got to know that is your voice responding to the noise of the world. Don't listen to that. That morning time, you listen, you have that experience with God, that's when you start to listen to your own voice and you ask yourself that same question that Jesus asks the disciples. What do I want? One of the deepest needs we all have is to feel connected, to feel like we belong, and to have a sense of meaning about life. But if we don't even know who we really are, if we haven't listened to our own voice, if we haven't gotten in touch with our own desires, then we'll never be able to connect with anybody else. Rick mentioned a month ago that if he could have one wish, it would be that we would all immediately take serious the discipline of becoming, or of, of taking uh, that 15 minutes in the morning with God. So here's my second wish. If I could grant this, it would be that we would all immediately take serious the discipline of becoming self-aware. When you work to understand yourself, when you listen to your own voice, then you can be comfortable with who you are, and then you can connect with others. And when people understand who they are and they look to take who they really are and connect that with other people and who they really are, the community gets stronger. And as we do this, as we take time to listen to God and listen to ourselves, there's a third conversation. And this one's probably the most obvious one in your notes. Listen to your neighbor. But who's my neighbor? I hear you ask. That's a, that's a good question. In your Bibles, flip back a book, just a few pages, go to Luke chapter 10. About a year ago, I, I taught on this passage, and there was something about it that I didn't pick up on until very recently. So there in verse 25... A lawyer approaches Jesus and he asks him, hey, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus flips the question back onto the lawyer and he says, well, what do you think? And the lawyer gives a version of love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, but who's my neighbor? That's a difficult question, isn't it? Who is my neighbor? Don't we ask that all the time? Who is my neighbor? Who are the people that I have to be nice to? Because we all have those people in our lives, right? The ones that are difficult to love. In the spirit of self-awareness, something we all need to know, and that's this. Every one of us is that hard person for somebody else to love. You know this, right? You know this is true. Whenever you're pointing at somebody and you look to God and you say, do I really got to love that person in that same moment? Somebody is behind you, pointing at you, saying, God, are we going to love that person? I promise you. Just so we're clear. But we find reasons to legitimize treating people in certain ways. Like, do I really have to love somebody that votes progressive? Or do I really have to love someone who votes conservative? 
do I really have to love someone who's a jerk all the time? Like, you don't know what this person has done. And so Jesus' answer to that question, who's my neighbor, he tells a story about a good Samaritan. And so a man is beaten, robbed, left for dead in an alley. And a priest and a Levite walk right past him. They don't stop to help. But the hero of the story is the Samaritan. The Samaritan, he's the one who stops to help. The Samaritan, which you need to know, is the enemy of the lawyer who's asking the question. The Samaritan is the person that nobody in that context would expect would stop to help. Now, here's what's interesting about this. He, Jesus chooses to make the Samaritan the hero. I want you to remember this. Jesus chooses the Samaritan to be the hero in the story. Okay? Flip back to chapter 9, verse 51. Just maybe a page away. It says, When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. So just one chapter earlier, Jesus and his disciples were actually rejected in a Samaritan village. They're not welcomed into the community of the Samaritans. And when the disciples asked Jesus if they should call down fire onto the community, he rebukes them right away. But then he takes it one step further. After he's rejected by the Samaritans, and after he tells the disciples to stop with the vengeance, he then tells a story about what a good neighbor looks like, and he chooses to make the Samaritan the hero. Did you catch that? Do you see what he's doing? You see, the question is no longer, who is my neighbor? The question becomes, how do I become a neighbor? And you become a neighbor to someone else when you take time to listen to them. And this could be one of the most difficult forms of vulnerability. Because listening to someone involves seeing them. Really seeing them. And seeing someone involves allowing yourself to be seen, to be really seen. To listen to your neighbor means allowing yourself to be affected by what you see. I want you to think about it this way. How many of you, and don't raise your hands, just, just think, how many of you get just a little uncomfortable if you find yourself around Rosedale or Lancaster and you come upon the homeless community? Do you get just a little uneasy? Do you, you maybe hope for a well-timed green light so that you can be on your way? Now, I want you to just imagine, would that experience be any different for you? If in that moment, you could see them, but they couldn't see you. If you could observe the homeless anonymously. You see, sometimes it's not that we don't want to see. 
It's that we don't want to be seen. But that's not how community works. I invite you, if you want to understand how community works, this hour, right now, we have a community, a worshiping body up at True Worth. I invite you to go check that out to really understand how community becomes a two-way street. We have to listen to our neighbor. We have to become a neighbor. We have to see our neighbor, and we have to open ourselves up to that experience as well. I want you to write this down. This is not in your sermon notes, and it's a bit of information, so paraphrase if you need to. Community is not defined by geography or similarities or comfort. Community is defined by meaningful, intentional relationships with the other. And make no mistake, there will always be the other. Because that's what humans do really well. We do a really good job of identifying, okay, who in the circle is not like the rest? Who in the circle does not belong? And so the work of community is not to defeat the other. The work of community is once you've identified the other, you welcome them into relationships. Try this out for a challenge. I invite you to identify for yourself who the other is. Is it the other political party? Is it the other company? Is it the other religion? Is it the other lifestyle? Whatever it is, identify for yourself which other causes you the most discomfort. And then you find someone who's a part of that other. Take them to lunch. Ask them some questions. And when you do, don't get defensive. Just listen. See what happens. One quick note to all of you that are parents in the house. Rick mentioned last week that your number one neighbor is your spouse. So I will tell you, the next people in line are your kids. And your number one job, and I can say this without exaggeration, your number one job as parents is to make sure your kids know that you love them. Before you do anything else, if you do that, you do that one thing. In my book, you've had a successful life. And it might mean that they do without a few things. It might mean that they don't have the nicest clothes or the nicest car or the biggest house. Guess what? They don't really need that. The only reason why they think they need that is because they've grown up with you and they've watched you do it. Before you do any of that, make sure your kids know. Because guess what? Their earliest understandings of who God is is going to be through the parents. And if they don't know that they're loved by their parents, then they will struggle to understand that God loves them. And that will create a level of shame that they will carry with them, that they will always have to work to overcome. And it will always be a barrier that they're going to have to work through in order to connect with others. Parents, don't mess this up. Now, some of you might be thinking, hey, I'm... I'm in lots of really good communities, and I hope you are. But sometimes when we think we're in community, actually what we're in is, is a, a glorified mob. 
That sounds harsh, but I want to take just a moment to identify the differences between a community and a mob. And you have a chart there in your notes. It's going to be a lot of information fairly quickly, so just write down as much as you can. The first is this. A community is radically inclusive, while a mob is actually formed by the act of excluding someone else. So ask yourself, when you're in your circle, you're in your group of friends, look around and just ask, how open and inviting is this group? How comfortable are we with having new people into the group? Or are we pretty closed off? Here's the next one. A community, the bond is a common love. But in a mob, the bond is a common enemy. So maybe you ask yourself, after you've had some time with your friends, you ask yourself, you know, hey, is, it, is there a lot of positive energy in that group? Do I leave my time with that group just feeling good about myself, about the, my community, my relationships? Is it just an overall positive experience? Or is it a negative one? Is there a lot of negative energy? Do you leave that group often feeling a certain level of angst, of frustration, and of anger? And not necessarily anybody in the group, but just life in general. I'll let you consider that. The next is this. A community looks for opportunities to invite someone who's not there. But a mob looks for opportunities to talk negatively about someone who's not there. So maybe you do an audit of the conversations that you have in your group. Does the conversation ever steer towards somebody that's not there? And when it does, is it maybe not the best type of conversation? And one time I'll tell you is too many. This is, this is my practice, and, and I invite you to adopt the same if you're in this circumstance. If somebody approaches me to talk negatively about somebody else, the first thing that I'm going to say is this. Hey, you, you know, that, that sounds like something you probably ought to be talking to them about. I'm not the person you need to have this conversation with. If you need help having that conversation, if you want to talk to me about ways to visit with them, I'm happy to help you there. But you really do need to talk to them. And then if it happens again, what I'm going to do, what I do is I'll take that person and say, tell you what, come with me, and we'll go find the other person that they're talking about. And the three of us are going to have a lovely conversation that's wonderfully uncomfortable for that person. I'm going to be just fine with it. They're not. But guess what? I bet you that's the last time they're ever going to come talk to negatively about somebody else to me. And if we all did that, how might that transform our community? Here's the next one. A community has the courage to be who they really are. Everybody is unique, but in a mob, they're living in imitated existence. Everyone looks the same. So maybe you look around your group and you ask yourself, are we, are we carbon copies? of each other? Or do I feel like, hey, you know what? This is a safe space for me to be who I am, to be unique, that I can voice a different opinion from the rest of the group, and I'm not going to be shunned for it. Something to consider. The next one is sort of a, another way of saying the same thing, but another way of thinking about it. A community is passionate about creativity and originality, while a mob is painfully unoriginal constantly imitating. I would argue, whether we realize it or not, every one of us has the gift of creativity. 
We all do. And my favorite people to be around are the ones who are unique, who are original, who have the boldness to be creative. Here's the next one. A community courageously deals with reality. While the mob looks for ways to numb the pain. So I've told the stories before about this woman, this woman that I admire the most. She's my hero. It's my Nana. She's uh, so, many, so many wonderful things I could say about this woman. She passed away about 10 years ago, but she was insanely intelligent. She was sharp. She had discernment. She was wise. She was kind. She was compassionate. And she was courageous. She was a brave woman. And I've thought a lot about her recently because of where we've been. And, you know, we've, we've all had to confront the reality that, that there's nothing more difficult as a parent than have to deal with the death of a child. Like, that's the worst. It just it doesn't get any worse than that. Well, my Nana had to go through that experience twice. Within the period of about two years, my aunt died and then my uncle died. And when my aunt died... My Nana was just so overcome with grief. She was hysterical. She couldn't take it. And so the doctors, they come up to her and they offer her a tranquilizer to help numb the pain. And almost immediately, my Nana shut it down. She says, no. No, I don't like this feeling. This is the worst feeling I've ever felt. I don't want it. But it's mine. I got to take it. This is my reality. This is what it means to be a mom I have to feel this. I have to deal with my reality. Don't take it away. She was a brave woman, and that was a wonderful community that I got to experience with her. But in the mob, they look for ways to numb the pain, and the problem with that is you don't get to pick which emotions you numb. You don't get to just numb the bad ones and keep the good ones. It doesn't work that way. You numb everything. And so when you lack the ability to deal with reality, what you essentially do is you rob yourself of the very thing that means to be alive. Last thing I want to say about community is that a community is dangerously vulnerable. But the mob is fearfully guarded. And community is it exactly what we experience here at the table. You see, I, th- I think we make a mistake when, when we think that Jesus was trying to start a new religion to create a new parameter of who's in and who's out. And shame on us when we turn this thing called the church into something that tells people that they aren't welcome. You see, I think what Jesus was trying to do, he was trying to show us what true community looks like. And how does he do it? He, he continues to look at the edges, look at the margins, and find those people and say, hey, they don't want you over there. Hey, I see you. Come. I got a place for you at my table. They kicked you out of that group? Don't worry about it. Come on, come on, come here. When he took the bread and he broke it, 
And he said, this is my body. I'm breaking for you. I am opening myself up in the most dangerously vulnerable way possible to let you know that I see you. You may think nobody else does, but I do. I see you. And then he took the cup. And he says, hey, unlike all those other groups, all of those other gatherings, all of those uh, people, those communities that were bought by the blood of the enemy, this table, hey, don't worry about the tab. I got it. Don't worry about, there's no cover. I, I got it. He says, this community, is being bought my blood. Nobody else's. And he says, the invitation never expires. It's always open. There's never going to be a way. Whenever you're ready, I got a spot for you. He says, I see you. Come and experience community, experience fellowship. Jesus sees all of us. And this is his table. This is not our table. This is not the church's table. This is not my table. So none of us invite you here, and none of us can keep you from coming because it's not our table. And if you have ever heard anybody from the church tell you that you are not welcome here, that was not the voice of God. It was the voice of the world. Because Jesus says, whoever so desires, come. And he invites us now to come and taste and experience true community. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the grace and mercy that is true fellowship with you in a way that we only experience at this table in such a unique and powerful way. We thank you that you continue to reach out. We mess up. You invite us back. We fall away. You invite us back. We stop listening. You invite us back. You continue to seek us and bring us and help us find our seat at the table. So I pray that you use these elements to remind us and show us and allow us to experience true fellowship with you, with your son, with your spirit, and with each other. In your son's name we pray. Amen.
take our brokenness and you turn it for your good, for your glory. And we thank you for that. 
would you stand if you're not so we can continue in our worship and on a shameful day he died in the sorrow of defeat but forgiveness was his cry as his blood ran down sacrifice and how the father's heart was torn as his only son was slain but the earth would soon rejoice from the place where hope everlasting and never
I invite you to remain standing and join me in our purpose statement found on the screen. The purpose of Pathway Church is to glorify God and share the love and grace of Jesus Christ with as many people as we can. And how should we fulfill this purpose? By ministering to spiritual, emotional, and physical needs. By providing Christian relationships in the family of God. And by providing the challenge for individual and collective spiritual growth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, may we take the community, the fellowship that we have all experienced together at this table, may we take it out into the world. Amen.